Welcome to Between the Vines. My name is Kevin Martin. I'm here with Andy Musa. We are uh, we have a few things to talk about this week. We have our conference coming up in just a couple of weeks, and this was a hybrid event. The the virtual events have concluded, and we are I think just in time to have a, a nice uh, kickstart to the growing season. Our winter conference at its normal time, in its normal place, in person uh, on March 16th. Um, at SUNY Fredonia, if, if you forgot that that's where we usually have it. It's been a couple of years now, so we're all excited for that and um, very excited to be to be back in person and sharing some some good information with you. Um, the the only other thing I wanted to touch on, I, we've got some details about that conference. We do have a lot of people already registered, so this is a reminder to register at lergp.cce. Um, cornell.edu but that's our normal website but um you know a lot of you probably already have so just some some uh, you know laying the groundwork for what's going to go on there if you haven't or if you're just interested we're going to start registration at 7 45 in the morning we've got about a half an hour for registration to get everybody in and settled um and then we will have some talks by a number of different cornell uh and local speakers, Soil and Water will be there, uh, Dr. Bates will be there, uh, Dr. J Jason Lundo will be giving a, a virtual uh, presentation, or uh, Lance Cato Davidson will be getting a, giving a virtual presentation. Um, so a lot of speakers and uh, also um, a couple of extra credits. We'll have three credits this year and for New York and six credits for Pennsylvania, which which really is the exact same thing, uh, but all the credits were awarded for all the talks we asked for, so that's why they came in at the same. And we will conclude um, somewhere after 4.15. Uh, Nick Gunner is going to be around at the end to give a little bit of an intro on Efficient Vineyard, my, my EV, and how that works. That's going to be a little hands-on, so if you have some time to play around with my EV and you want to start creating some some uh, maps or data points uh, you could bring those in and and he can help you with some troubleshooting there if that's something that's not for you uh, this does work great as sort of a hands-on thing which is what we want to take advantage of uh, at the you know since this is an in-person event um, if that's not for you yet uh, i think there's going to be some information about my ev at the conference and maybe you can listen to that and then get interested in it later on. And then you'll be able to take off a little bit early if that's what you want to do um, right around that 4.15, 4.30 time slot. So please feel free to register for the conference. I, I do know you missed some of the virtual conference. Um, we, we are doing our best to take care of that for you. So if you, if you would like a copy of those virtual events, we obviously can't give you credit for it. There, was, there were some credit, there were three credits for the February event. Uh, none for the January event, but you can get a copy of those recordings um, and watch them at your leisure later on. You'll be able to do that at the conference or shortly thereafter, but but you can make your request ahead of time or uh, when you when you show up to register at the conference. Either way will work. Um, the other thing we have to cover today is guidelines are expected to be out at the end of the month, but they have gone to the publisher for publishing. And I think Andy wanted to highlight a couple of major changes to those guidelines since last year. 
Did you want me to talk on those? Yeah, now? that'd be great, Andy. Yeah, um, it just went to the publisher uh, probably yesterday or today. So it should be probably by the end of the month, I'm expecting that would be um, published. So you'll be hearing about that. Uh, there weren't a lot of major changes because there's not a lot of, you know, really new chemicals that are um, coming out, but there are a few changes. Um, there's been minor changes in the text. Uh, I know Lynn Sosnowski um, did some, uh, did a few changes, not materials, but um, in, in the comments section uh, for the different herbicides. And then um, uh, Greg uh, put his, uh, his changes in his edits in um, he a uh, little bit more. I think he mentioned about spotted lanternfly. Um, you know, a few more states that it's been uh, um, picked up in, and probably as far as the insecticides, um, Lorsban, uh, which is chlorpyrifos, is no longer legal to use in Pennsylvania and New York, and I think it's probably they're taking it off um, for all uh, food crops. But so that's gonna be out of the guide this year. So you won't be able to use that in New York and Pennsylvania. Um, and a couple of generics, I think there's uh, Warhawk and Vulcan also have the active ingredient uh, chlorpyrifos. So that will no longer be used. Uh, as far as fungicides, um, Gatton, which was registered last year, it's a fungicide uh, strictly for powdery mildew. Um, that wasn't in the guide because by the time uh, the guide went to be published, uh, that label hadn't been, it hadn't been, um, you know, uh, approved yet. So we are having Gatton um, in the guide this year. It's a very good um, material for powdery mildew. And then uh, as far as Sevia goes, um, very good material for uh, both black rot and powdery mildew. Um, uh, Brian Head has done tests uh, on that uh, for the last few years, and he's got some real good results on both powdery mildew and on black rot. Um, last year, uh, the label said that you could not use, uh, said he was not registered for use on Vitus labrusca or Vitus labrusca hybrids. But that label has since been changed. So now you can use it on uh, also on Labrusca and Labrusca hybrids. So uh, there, there's some of the, I would say, uh, ones that come to mind, uh, key changes. Yeah. Um, and just for, I think, for some context, those are definitely key changes for the Concord industry. The one that might not be, I think, immediately key or obvious is the Lorsban. I don't think a lot of Concord growers have ever have used Lorsban recently. Maybe never. I'm not sure, Andy. Certainly not. Probably, probably not Lorsban. But but the reason oh. it was important for Pennsylvania uh, was because it really is the only um, material that we had in the guide that that was effective for grape root borer. And grape root borer is a problem down in the uh, southeastern part of uh, Pennsylvania. And so, uh, you know, they would put that on as a soil barrier because the uh, pupae would come out uh, of the soil and then the adults would fly and, uh, you know, mate and lay eggs. So we really don't have anything now that is um, registered for use that would control a uh, grape root borer. 
and again, mainly in the southeastern part of the, the Pennsylvania. Um, I don't know if there's anywhere, to tell you the truth, in New York that has root borer yet, um, but southern states also have um, uh, grape root borer. So if you have it, it, it can be a real serious pest. So that's the, I would say the biggest um, uh, negative for grape growers is that they can't use it for grape root borer. Uh, you know, it, it was registered for a few other um, uh, pests, but we have, you know, plenty of other materials that you can use. So it's not that big a deal. Right. For those it plants. was the, the one reason I think it was, I think Concord growers were probably going to start paying attention to it would have been the possibility of um, spotted lanternfly. So it would have been a good tool for spotted Yes, lanternfly. and there, it would have been good. It won't tool. be now. <laughs> um, there was some good data, I think, on um, on using that for uh, egg masses. But um, I, I guess it's still, they still might try and get that back, maybe some uh, special local needs. Um, there's been talk that uh, uh, there might be some, you know, uh, special local need uses. And so we'll have to see, um, you know, if, if, if for certain things that would come back, but at this point you, you can't use it. Um, and then the other two materials, Gatton is an expensive uh, powdery mildew material, but not expensive enough to be called a wine grape material. It comes in just a couple dollars more than, say, a Vivando. Uh, you know, it's right in the range of what the higher end products are for Concord, and it'll fit in really nicely anywhere you find yourself needing an important powdery mildew spray, pre-post bloom gives you another great option if you're thinking about not using Vivando or Quintec. Um, lots of talk in the industry about how those chemicals are not necessarily working as well as people thought they once were. Uh, Vivando is pretty new, so I, you know, I think that's more anecdotal evidence than anything else, but regardless, it's, it's nice to have a whole bunch of options so you can move Vivando around or, or not use it you know, every single year or and the same with Quintec, which is a much older material. Um, so we are not running out of options in that powdery mildew um, space in prices that we we are used to and can afford. So that's that's great news. Yeah, and, and some of those materials, like you said, when they newer ones come out, um, you know, a lot of times the wine grape growers will be the first ones to use it just because usually when they come out, these newer materials, they are expensive mm -hmm. and you can justify you know, some of that, if you're a wine grape grower, you know, with higher end wine, uh, getting uh, more money for some of those higher end uh, uh, viniferous or hybrids. Um, what I what I would say, like you said, the Quintec and the Vivando, um, Quintec is older, Vivando is a little bit newer. It is anecdotal that we've heard that, that it is slipping, but you know, you start hearing that from enough growers and a lot of times, you know, it, it, shows up that yeah it's it's true it, it is slipping but i would say for the concord guys um i'm still not as worried that because of powdery mildew on concords it's it's not like on viniferous you know as, as far as your um susceptibility so i still think if if quintec and vivando will still be effective very you know very effective, depending on if you've had problems or not. I mean, maybe some guys have, but overall, I think 
think it still will be effective as long as, especially if you do your timings right and you don't stretch your intervals, uh, you get that immediate pre-bloom on, uh, you don't stretch the first post-bloom, you know, more than 14 days, uh, you know, definitely don't do that. So I still think there'll be very effective materials, but like you said, um, you know, especially for the Concord guys, but like you said, with the Gatton and the Sevia, now we have some, you know, other materials that are very effective also uh, on powdery mildew that, you know, we could work into our um, pest management program. Uh, exactly. Yep. So. And the other thing is, you know, when you look at those costs, when I say Gatton comes in a little bit more and, and Sevia is, is even a little bit more than that. Uh, there's a couple of important things to remember. That's that's comparing minimum rates. Um, so a lot a lot of times when we get this anecdotal evidence that something is slipping, the first thing growers do is use higher rates. Um, I'm not going to you know stand out on a limb and say something is slipping without you know without somebody who does that science tell me tells me that it really is. But what we do know is grow, grower behavior changes, and when it does, then things like Gatton are actually less expensive than the maximum rate of Quintec and, and significantly less than the maximum rate of Avando. Um, a lot of people are using the maximum rate of Quintec or close to it. And I don't know of anyone using the maximum rate of Avando, but they're certainly well above that uh, 11 ounce rate or 10.8 or whatever it is. Uh, so increasing that cost beyond Gatton, beyond Endura, um, and potentially even beyond Sevia. Uh, Sevia um, is allowed to be a little more expensive because it covers more diseases. So you're going to see a price difference there, uh, but it is still going to be less than, say, a Vivando and a Zyram. So you're going to be in good shape to work that into your program somewhere if you want to. Um, the other thing I have, well, Jennifer, um, was able to join us. So we've got the whole Lake Erie Regional Grape Program team here. She was actually gonna talk about the conference. Um, we did actually cover that a little bit. So I'm gonna go through some cash flow forecasting and then we'll give you a little bit more information on the conference after that. We'll give you another reminder to register at the end here. Um, so um, this is the time of year I usually you know, encourage growers to take a look at their cash flow and make sure that they're not going to have any issues. The reason I do this is because I'm not an accountant. So what happens in February is largely a mystery to me. So a lot of growers end up paying their taxes on February 28th or Feb or March 1st, depending on the year and when it's due. So it was February 28th this year. Um, some growers wait longer than that. It does depend on whether or not you have things withheld, but growers are have this special privilege where they, they don't have to pay any taxes for anything federally until February 28th. So no withholdings quarterly, um, no withholdings on a paycheck or anything like that. They just wait till February and they pay for the whole last year, which, you know, can be a bit of a sticker shock, but they do get that free loan from the government for, for like a whole year. So, so it's a nice problem to have. I don't like to pretend to know what kind of cash needs that they're going, they're going to run into before that, because like I said, I'm not an accountant and I don't know what their tax bill is going to be. Um, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, it's fairly easy for me most years to 
kind of tell growers what they're going to need to make it to harvest. And then, you know, harvest comes, there's a harvest advance and they kind of reset. And then we do this, do this all, do this dance again. Um, but it is a little bit challenging this year. And I, I mentioned this to Andy earlier. Um, the challenge is, is that there are patterns in what growers tend to buy and why they tend to do it. So we know we had a good year. We know cash on hand was healthy at the end of the last year, and we know growers were worried about taxes in 2021. So typically speaking, pre-buying would be like sky high. Um, we'd be going over what the limitations are to pre-buying because there are certain limitations that farmers run into, uh, although it's pretty difficult. They're very generous limitations. You're allowed to pre-buy stuff, uh, but but and the amounts are limited, but that's very generous. We don't need to get into it because you already filed your taxes. Um, but that being said, this would have been a year where growers would have purchased as much as they possibly could have in general. Um, so what I think some growers ran into is they were, uh, number one, concerned about very high costs and hoping the cost of certain items would fall. So Roundup, it didn't go up 50%. You know, it went up um, three, four, or 500%. So they held off on buying that. Some growers did. Um, posts, this is the other problem, and it wasn't, it was not limited just to posts, but grape posts are a thing that are often pre-purchased. I would say just on average, probably 60 to 80% of grape posts are pre-purchased. Um, they were not able to do that in mass because supplies were simply just not there. So a supply chain issue, I think a lot of people, a lot of farmers bought the posts that they could buy, but they didn't necessarily buy all the posts that they needed. Um, so when you do your cash flow planning this year, you're a little bit on your own because I don't know, you know, how your your business compares to other businesses. I think what we can talk about a little bit is about where prices have gone and sort of what I think uh, growers have been able to purchase. Um, you know, I think pre-purchasing fungicides was not a major problem. Most fungicides, I, typically growers hold off on additional materials. They're not sure if they're gonna need or not need. This could be for like enhanced powdery mildew control, um, specialty insecticides, or an additional spray if crops are above average. All three of those would total $85 an acre. So you should need 85 to $100 per acre to cover your fungicides if you've already purchased most of your fungicides, your core fungicide needs. You know, your EBDCs are purchased, your major powdery mildew pre and post bloom um, purchases have been made your second post bloom fungicides have been purchased. Um, it, it's the stuff beyond that, that would be that $85 an acre. Post replacement costs, this used to be like $50 an acre. Nobody cared, it wasn't a big deal. Now you've got a big crop year and really expensive posts. So we're looking at more like $140 an acre. Um, I think it's probably in the range of $40 per acre, depending on the operation, maybe 60 of what the cash needs are going to need going forward because they were not able to buy all their posts. Um, and it could be higher than that. Like I said, if you haven't bought any posts, it might be a lot closer to $100, $140 an acre. Um, nutrient supplement costs are obviously, you know, overall, we've talked a lot about how that market has been hit pretty hard and prices are way up. Um, you know, you should be looking at spending around $350 per acre given current costs and what last year's crop looked like. I think fertilizer pre-purchases are a little bit all over the place, especially for 2021. I think some growers were looking to see if they were could get some lower prices, 
Perhaps there were some also some supply chain issues. I don't think there was actually any shortages of fertilizer, but there may have been some localized shortages and some delivery constraints that just delayed those purchases. Um, I have a hard time thinking that prices are going to are going to decline much much now that we're dealing with Ukraine. You know, a lot of fertilizer comes out of Russia, so um, you know we have finally seen fertilizer towards the end middle end of February stop going up in price. Um, but that conflict in Ukraine is definitely going to be an added pressure that we haven't seen hit the market yet. Uh, so the hopes of things declining significantly, I think, are, because of that, are pretty much out the window. Um, at least for 2022 or in time for our 2022 applications. Uh, obviously, herbicide costs are up significantly. It's difficult for me to say how much, you know, I can tell you how much Roundup has gone up. That's pretty clear. But we, we see very clearly that growers are going to be experimenting with different practices, cutting Roundup uh, rates or switching to rely where they can, which is also very expensive this year. Um, and I think it remains to be seen how effective that's going to be. Be, especially when they start switching chemicals. So you might see growers, uh, if they can get Roundup or Rely later on, uh, they might need to buy more than they expected to because their plans didn't work out quite as well as they thought. So, you know, it should be in the area of $90 per acre, but if growers run into issues with what their plans are and they try to sort of too aggressively cut costs, it might be double that if they fall back on something like Roundup or Rely to sort of you know, dig themselves out of a hole. Um, but in total, it looks like another $450 per acre. If, you know, all of these assumptions are correct. If you haven't bought anything yet, obviously your operation is going to look a lot different than that. But everything we've talked about, plus, you know, typical fuel, which you can't really pre-buy other than maybe on a small operation. Um, and then typical labor going forward and cover crop seeds and some of the other production related expenses, you're going to be at that 450 going forward. Uh, if you've got debt or atypical labor costs that are due and payable before har harvest, you'd obviously add those onto that $450. Um, and that that's not uncommon and it's not necessarily unhealthy. You know, very new businesses have high debt and very mature businesses may have offloaded more of their labor costs. It's just really different for planning purposes. Um, and a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of reasons to plan for cash flow. The one time I would really spend some time on cash flow and make sure that I had a really detailed plan, um, at least in current market conditions. So normally this is encouraged when you might have a cash flow problem. I don't anticipate a lot of cash flow problems because of the market conditions we had in 2022. Um, so you would do it in the event of an expansion, whether you were spending a lot on a new piece of equipment or buying new grapes particularly if you're buying new grapes that um, need to be rehabbed because rehab costs are going to be way up. So what is rehabbing a Concord vineyard look like? You've got problematic weeds. You've got an unhealthy or an, a, a trellis that's not well maintained, and you've got probably lime and potash needs. So every tool in your toolbox there has at least doubled in price. So you really need to do some cash flow planning if you're taking on additional acreage that needs rehabbing. So you're not gonna get paid in a timely manner if it's going to a cooperative and your costs are gonna be much more, um, much higher than what you would have normally budgeted. And, and I think everybody knows that. I just think 
it makes a lot of sense to add it all up and see where you fall and when when you're going to be cash positive on that enterprise so you can sort of carefully plan for your cash flow needs even if the checking account or the business checking account looks healthy today that was a lot that was a lot <laughs> so take home message you know if you're a typical farm 450 dollars per acre um and then add in you know all of those things that you didn't buy that maybe somebody else did or if you bought extra subtract that out and then be very careful with your cash flow planning if you are planning an expansion especially if that expansion is a rehab situation that's okay i already did that jen um my watch was not silented my phone was i tried to silent it i hit the wrong button and it alerted Sorry. my phone to a find my so i was just making jingles all over the place with <laughs> Sorry. In case anybody out there was wondering what all that noise was when Andy was talking. That was <laughs> so, uh, Jen, I kind of hit the nuts and bolts of the conference, you know, reminding people where to register and why they want to come, what the credit situation looks like. But I know you have some information about specific grower talks that you might have wanted to share. And that was the one thing we didn't cover. Yeah, great. Thanks. And sorry for not being here at the start. <clears throat> so... Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So I just wanted to say, and I, it, it's also in my crop update for this week, that we've been receiving the abstracts from the speakers. And I just wanted to give everybody sort of a glimpse of what you can expect at the in-person speakers. And we are going to be having talks that deal with um, grape leaf roll disease and sour rot and the role of insects that play in that disease management and also dynamic, like how there's going to be a whole section on that. There's going to be a section on spotted lanternfly. <laughs> Sorry, spotted lanternfly and its biology and management. There'll be a section on that. Cold hardiness and hopefully also what happens when freeze and frost damage occurs to the grapevine itself to give you a little better understanding on what goes on there. Grapevine nutrition, cover crops, then we have a section on how a reliable workforce can no longer be taken for granted and what you can do about that and much more. So I, there's really pretty much something for everybody. I hope that you guys all join us in March. I know you talked about the credits that are available, three New York, six PA. And does anybody have any questions, the team? No, I don't think so. I think we covered it. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, it looks like it's going to be a, a nice conference in terms of size and attendance, just based on the registration we've received so far. Um, I know we definitely have some room to grow. So uh, I know, and we also have, you know, been saying all along that this conference was tentative and not necessarily going to be in person, but that was our plan. And the closer we get to that date, the more it looks like it will be an in-person event. Uh, it appears as though things are getting, you know, better, not worse. So if that was maybe the reason why um, you you were not necessarily planning on coming or haven't registered yet, um, I think, you know, I hope to see you all there. I agree. I'm glad we sort of, I don't want to call it a gamble, but I'm glad we, we held out to hold it in person because a lot of the other commodities have not had in person yet. Yeah. I, and we were a little bit fortunate. We are sort of hamstrung about when we can have a conference. I know a lot of growers have asked us to have it a little bit earlier, but they also, you know, 
give us very positive feedback on the location and the location is available when it's available. So right. a lot of our other colleagues have, have, you know, earlier conferences, which was probably a little bit trickier to try to do that in January or early February. So we kind of lucked out this year in that department. Agreed. All right. So thank you all for joining us. If you have any questions, you want to hear us talk about anything else, please feel free to, to reach out to us in the ways that you usually do. We're always available. Um, and we will be back next week with another podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.